lot has happened since our last episode of the Forum Club. I'm Bill Oram, joined as always by Jovan Buha talking about the Lakers here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Jovan, I'm actually a little bit unsure where to start because I think our last episode was before the All-Star break when the Lakers actually had some momentum coming off of that win against Utah. They felt good about their performance in Golden State. And since then, um, everything has really kind of been burned to the ground uh, to be to put it um, actually even mildly, I would say. Um, the Lakers are on a three game losing streak. Uh, they've lost their first three games coming out of the All Star break. They uh, dealt with the the comments of LeBron James over over the break from Cleveland, which you know people around the Lakers and LeBron himself have had kind of tried to douse and say uh, weren't the the the, the the hidden messages that all of us, including myself, took them to be. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, this has been a very, you know, uh, very stressful time around the Lakers where, you know, they came out of the All-Star break talking about trying to get out of the play-in uh, tournament or get into the seven or eight spot where it would be, a you know, a double elimination and they'd have kind of the same cushion they did last year when they looked like a contender still, despite being in seventh going into the postseason. Right now they're in ninth, I believe, uh, New Orleans with their win on on Wednesday night, moved within a game and a half of ninth. Eleventh um, is very much in play, especially considering the Lakers schedule and the fact they got a game coming up against San Antonio here in a few days. So, Jovan, a lot to get to, a whole heck of a lot to get to, um, but... Do you think we're seeing the real Lakers over over these these three losses? Is this is this closer to the reality of who they are than what we saw before the All Star break, especially while Anthony Davis is still out? Yes, in short, that that's the best way I could kind of put it, right? Because I think we've seen these last three games happen how many times throughout this season, right? You know, like this is a team that, um, despite our preseason you know predictions and and all the expectations that they had. They're seven games under 500, 61 games into the season. They are not a good team. They are not even an average team. They are a bad team. And they have been a bad team in, uh, I would say, two of, of the three games that they just played. Uh, and, you know, a couple close losses. But uh, I, I think just, you know, this is kind of who they've been. They, they have these wild swings quarter to quarter, uh, you know, almost like uh, possession to possession where, uh, you know, at, at points there, this, uh, you know, rotating defensive menace that's getting out in transition and, and pressuring teams and looking really good. And you, you kind of see the blueprint for what could be. But for the most part, uh, they're kind of that team that also has the, the the third quarter against New Orleans, which to me was the low point of the season where, uh, they're they're missing wide open layups. They are giving up wide open layups. Uh, where New Orleans is literally walking the ball up the floor and just getting to the rim. Uh, the you know the crowd's booing and uh, it, it just that was like just a calamity on on a level that we haven't really seen from this Lakers organization in in you know several years now. So I think it you know it, it's really I think I mean you could just tell the the collective disappointment right now where it, it did feel like you know, maybe finally this team's turning a corner and, and, you know, I think even when they've kind of, I mean, they've said that all season, but there was an energetic shift and, and you and I discussed that and it just felt a little bit different with, you know, most of the time they're, they're not that upbeat after a loss. And it felt like even after the golden state game that they, they were treating that like a moral victory of like, Hey, we lost to, a, you know, the second best team in the West 
and we, you know, we really liked the process of how we, we played and, and performed out there. And we really had a shot to go toe to toe with the Warriors. And then they have that Utah win, but that is soured by Anthony Davis going down. And, and right. obviously, as you wrote, you know, Anthony Davis kind of going down is basically the end of the season. And, and, um, you know, like that, 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 I mean, unfortunately, like that's just how it is. And, and we've seen that kind of cumulative effect of just this team not being healthy and, and the, the pieces not fitting and all these disappointing close lot. I mean, they're, they're 17 and 20 in crunch time and that's got to weigh on you at some point, like, the, you know, over half of their games have gone to crunch time and they're under 500 in, in those games. So it's like, they just have so many close losses that could have gone either way. And I think at some point that really weighs on your ability to, you know, think you can win these close games. And um, I mean, I thought it was telling in the Dallas game, they only scored four points in the last seven and a half minutes. Like that is insane. Um, yeah. that, you know, like the, the worst teams in the league score more than four points in the last seven and a half minutes of a game. So, um, you know, they're, they're 29th in offense over the last three games. And I think that's really been their bigger issue, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think to, to kind of get back to your question, like this is who they've been all season and they continue yeah. to be it. And, and there's really no reason to think that's going to change. We're at the point where I think everyone, you know, kind of in our space, like I, there is no path to contention. Right. I mean, there is there is a theoretical path to contention, but then there's also sort there's also the reality of what we've seen. So the theor- theoretical path to contention is you, you hold on to playoff positioning or excuse me, play in positioning. It doesn't matter. You get Anthony Davis back. You know, if you if, if, you're, if you're playing well, it doesn't matter if you're nine or if you're eight. Like, obviously, you'd rather have to just win one game. But if you have to win two, who cares? Um, LeBron is LeBron. Russ figures something out. A.D. comes back and is, is healthy. And you've. You kind of settled the rotation by mid-April, and you're playing your best basketball by the time the play-in gets here. That is the that is the roadmap, um, and that is theoretically still possible, but it is not. It is not that does not track with anything we, we've seen in terms of this team's ability to really um, build good momentum and to learn from their mistakes. And you know they're, they're, they started their thirtieth different starting lineup on on Tuesday against Dallas, and I, I liked that group. I thought that group started with some, um, you know, some real uh, energy, and the ball was. I mean, they had a great you know, they had a great possession on the opening possession of their of the game actually, and it was you know the ball was moving, and they got a three out of it from Stanley Johnson, and it was like honestly one of the best possessions of the entire season um, in game number what sixty one. So you know they're. And because we're talking about LeBron James and LeBron has a way of like, you know, doing things you don't expect or because we've seen him take, you know, bad teams to the finals before, you know, when he says something like he said the other night, which was until you stump me out, stomp me out, uh, cut my head off and bury me 12 feet under, I've still got a chance. Like, that's kind of true. Like, that is something that you do have to believe. Not that it's going to happen, but that there is a chance and it might be a 1% chance. It might be half of a percent chance, but because of who we're talking about here and then the level he's playing at and what we've seen him do in the past and the fact that he has been, you know, as good as he's been despite being 37 and despite not being a hundred percent physically, you, he does have a chance. It just is minuscule at this point. And if you're asking me as an objective observer, I'm like, no, there's no chance, but you do allow for like the tiniest, the tiniest possibility here, but um, a lot's going to need to change. Um, and I, I guess that, that, that it's in that half a percent of a chance that we saw the Lakers make an upgrade to their roster this week. And I, I, I think that we need to get to this pretty high up and, and talk about DJ Augustine because, you know, there was a lot of, 
head scratching over the way the Lakers approached the trade deadline. They did not make a move. They did not get a, you know, another another wing or another another ball handler. I mean, something that sort of helped balance this roster out. Um, and there was a lot of looking toward the buyout market. And the buyout market this year just did not have the names that we've seen in the past. I mean, last year, the Lakers uh, were the beneficiaries of Andre Drummond uh, getting bought out. I and mean, we can obviously, you know, the Drummond signing didn't work. But nonetheless, that was a big swing by the Lakers on the buyout market. They got a new starting center out of that. Um, the year before, Markeith Morris um, came in and became a, obviously a huge part of their culture and um, their title run. So now it's DJ Augustine, you know, who is a you know, 34 year old point guard who's been in the league for 14, 15 years. Um, I was, if funny enough, I was in Austin, Texas, like in a college internship when DJ Augustine was drafted uh, by the Charlotte Bobcats back in 2008. That's how long ago that was. It was between my junior and senior year of college. So um, uh, that feels like five lifetimes ago, but he's still doing it, um, you know, and you know, he can play, right? Jovan, I mean, like, he's a guy who shoots shoots close to 40% from three, obviously yeah. knows how to play point guard. I think he can play alongside LeBron. He can play off the ball. I mean, if I want to be inflammatory, I might say he's already a better fit for the Lakers than Russell Westbrook. But is he a difference maker? And is 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 there anybody who could be enough of a difference maker to salvage this Lakers season? I think he's a difference maker, but I don't know that it's going to change anything, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could see him being a, a difference maker in so far as like, you know, this team, as Frank Vogel kind of said uh, after the game, like they were struggling to get to even like eight rotation players. Right. And, and you know, you've kind of seen it now where like Trevor Reza is back to being banished from the rotation. If they're going with banished. these small ball, <laughs> if they're going with these small ball units, they are going to limit Dwight Howard's role. So he, he doesn't really count as a full rotation player. Uh, Wayne Ellington is someone that's been, you know, inconsistently in and out of the rotation. And now we, we just had a revived Kent Bazemore sighting after him kind of being out for a couple months. So I think that the Lakers are still obviously grasping for what is our best lineup? What is our best rotation? Um, I think DJ Augustine can help. And I think to your point, like he's probably going to help the most as just being a reliable shooter. That is something that this team has lacked all season that they only have, uh, I, I believe, you know, three or four guys shooting above league average uh, on threes this season. So, and one of those guys is Wayne Ellington who doesn't really play. So it really has been Carmelo Anthony and Malik Monk being the two, you know, the only two guys you could rely on um, as floor spacers night to night. And, and even a guy like Austin Reeves, who, uh, you know, we, we remember the Dallas shot and you kind of think of him as a shooter. He's shooting 31% on threes this season. He's yeah. not been a good three point shooter. So kind of going down the list, like, the Lakers have, you know, that that's been one of their things is you pack the paint against them and you make them shoot. And on the nights that Melo's pouring it in and hitting five threes and, and getting 20 points, that's going to be a close game. And, and you might lose that game if you're an opponent. But the nights that Melo isn't making those shots, the, the nights that Malik Monk isn't making those shots, like you're blowing the Lakers out. And that's what we've kind of seen night to night. So I think DJ Augustine helps in that sense. But my thing is like this team didn't need another small guard. Like if anything, they have too many small guards and, and yeah. you know, you've had these lineups where you have, uh, you know, Russ and, and Malik and Avery Bradley, and you have like three dudes, six, three or smaller, and it's just they're too small. And I think Augustine can come in, play 10, 12, 15 minutes, 18 minutes, but you, there, inevitably there's going to be some times where it's him and Russ. And we've seen Russ defensively is inconsistent and, and doesn't always try. 
and then to have a five foot eleven because he's not just small. He's like one of the smallest dudes in the league. Like right. he's not like six two. He, he's listing 5'11". him at five eleven. And and listen, I, this is not something I call out often. You know, I and mean, we know that like players' heights and the way players get listed are you know frequently embellished. Well, you know, one way or the other, right, KD? Um, but DJ Augustine, I think, is listed at six foot by the Lakers, and standing next to him yesterday, I mean, I felt like I had like four or five inches on him. I'm six one. So keep that in mind. Yeah. So it's like the, he, he's not going to help. the. I mean, he just can't help the defense. He's too small. And I envision him kind of in, in some of those second unit lineups where they, where they go LeBron at center and it, it's kind of quicker and, and you, you're putting a lot of shooting around LeBron. So he's someone who can do some secondary playmaking, run some pick and roll, get LeBron going, uh, space the floor. Like I, I think he, he has some use, but I, I just think for, for all the positives that he could bring, I do think there, there's clearly some defensive limitations there. And this is already a group that has plenty of defensive limitations. So I'm, I'm a little he- like I could see him helping the offense and then also hurting the defense and it being close to like a, a neutral impact. Um, so the, the guy I'm actually higher on uh, and really interested in is Wenyan Gabriel. I, I think he's the type of guy that the Lakers don't have on this roster. Um, and we, we, we saw them take the gamble on Stanley Johnson and that really pay off and, and him become a, a productive rotation player for them. But Stanley Johnson's six, six, uh, one in Gabriel, six, nine, seven, one wingspan, uh, you know, long athletic mobile. And, you know, I, I think he's, he's not the level of defender that you would think based on his frame. Uh, he, he does foul a lot, but he can block shots. He can rebound. He's got a good motor uh, and he can make threes. And so like, he's kind of this unique prospect that, they don't really have on the roster uh, in terms of like a front court guy. And I think with the way that they're playing with these smaller units, he fits in and he could take that Dwight role mm-hmm. and maybe even some of those Ariza mellow uh, Stanley minutes and be someone that plays, you know, 10 to 15 minutes off the bench and gives them some good defense and, and some floor spacing. So I'm really honestly more intrigued by him even though he wasn't the headliner of the signings. Yeah, you know, and if, by the way, you know, Wenyan Gabriel is someone we've seen before, like I've seen before. You know, he played against the Lakers in Sacramento and obviously was in the rotation in Portland when they played the Lakers in the first round in the bubble back in 2020. But um, delightful person. Like, I mean, really interesting guy to talk to yesterday. Um, you know, had a you know almost a 10-minute you know introductory session with beat writers. And, you know, first time this year, I think we've talked to one of the, the two-way guys because the two-way players have not been impact players for the Lakers. I mean, you look at the guys they had. I mean, Austin Reeves was initially on a two-way contract, but he was signed. He was converted before the start of training camp. And since then, they've had guys like Jay Huff and Sekou Demboya and Mason Jones and um, I'm forgetting a person or two. Shondi. Shondi Brown, I think at one point was on a two-way. You know, they've cycled through it this year. And those guys have played zero rotation minutes with the exception of when they were, you know, in COVID uh, hell. And, you know, there were some minutes for Shondi Brown. But even like Jay Huff was like never getting minutes. Um, So this does feel different. Like Wenyan Gabriel is a guy who has played meaningful NBA basketball, even though he's still young. He does fit a profile that makes sense for the Lakers. You know, shot blocking, you uh, you know, athletic. Uh, high motor, you know, can shoot. Um, those are things that like do intrigue me. And I think he's going to get an opportunity because the Lakers, I mean, we, t- I mean, what are the Lakers? The Lakers are slow and old. They are old and slow. They're slowed, but they are not, um, they're not young and they're not, they're not, they're not athletic and they're not, they're none of the things that Wenyan Gabriel is. And I don't know how good he is, but he does fit a need. Um, 
and you know to your point about taking Dwight minutes I mean yeah that seems like a, a thing that could happen like if Dwight you know Dwight has you know kind of a so-so first half let's say um you know coming off the bench like I could see Wenyon getting those minutes in the second half and then that being completely flipped you know what I mean where that becomes the, the Wenyon Gabriel role he's gonna have to earn it but I think there will they will take a look at him to see if he you know can be that guy for them um but again we are talking about the outer margins of the, the rotation you know in the context of the season is not these move they're not moves that I can imagine, you know, tilting the fate of the Lakers. I do think it makes them better. I think it makes them. I think it makes them a little more balanced um, than than they were. Like, I mean, even if you just said you're swapping out DeAndre Jordan for Wenyon Gabriel, I'm like, I think that's an upgrade because DeAndre wasn't giving you anything, um, and he, you know, <laughs> in line with the rest of this team, old and slow. Um, so I think that's a. I think that's a good swap. And then adding a guy like DJ Augustine just you know, gives you that much more depth. It gives you another point guard. You haven't had a second point guard on this team since the Rajon Rondo trade. And he fits a little better than Rondo uh, in terms of being able to shoot. So I think the Lakers did well, you know, on the buyout market and, you know, by picking up Gabriel on a two-way. Yeah. And I think it also probably indicates that Kendrick Nunn, I mean, we can kiss that goodbye uh, where he's probably not coming back this season or at least not going to, you know, Maybe he comes back at the end of the season in the last couple of weeks and he's kind of in a compromised form where he's still trying to get his legs under him. Uh, you know, because uh, Augustine obviously isn't as good as Kendrick Nunn and, and isn't going to play that Kendrick Nunn role. But I, I do think that the Lakers, even with giving up Rondo, we're kind of looking like Kendrick Nunn is going to be back at some point, probably in January. And we are now in early March and there's no, you know, and. Rob Polinka's already ruled him out through the end of March. So yeah, the last update we got on Kendrick was at the trade deadline from Polinka when he said, um, you know, he, he spoke about, you know, until we get Kendrick back, which, um, you know, we're, we're hoping for late March and that, you know, I mean that, listen, that could mean getting him on the floor, but also <laughs> the Lakers are not going to be in the, Oh, we have time to like integrate, you know, a new player phase of their season. There's going to be seven games left and they're going to be in a fight for the 10 seed. If they're still trying to get the 10 seed, you know, which I think is a valid conversation. Like do the Lakers want to be in the play in and, you know, LeBron, you know, with his comment the other night, and then, you know, Dave McMenamin reported that LeBron has no plans to shut it down this season, which I think is just a difficult thing to foresee. Right. Like I think there's absolutely still a possibility that, you know, LeBron's knee swells up, I mean, if LeBron's knee swells up again like it did in Philadelphia when it cost him five games and it, and it happens now with 21 games left, is he really coming back with you know 14 games left in the Lakers you know, on the outside of the play-in? Or do you just sort of accept your fate at that point? I kind of think it's a little bit more of the latter. But um, but um, I do see, you know, I think that, I think that um, you know, the play-in, there's enough incentive to try to make the most of what you have and hope for a break. You know, Frank Vogel talked about it yesterday. You know, you can still catch a team at the right time. You know, I don't think anyone anticipated Milwaukee getting the finals last year, but, you know, caught some breaks along the way. They got better over the course of the postseason, and then, you know, you, you hang a banner. Um, that theme seems incredibly pie in the sky for the Lakers, but you're also <laughs> paying a whole lot of money for this team, and you paid a whole lot of money to see what Russell Westbrook would look like in the playoffs. So you might as well get there. Um, but... You know, and I think the I think the other thing here that you know we all talk about privately that you know I don't think is acknowledged as loudly as it probably should be. LeBron's on a bit of a personal quest here too. You know, he's on pace to pass Carl Malone on the all-time scoring list. You know, sometime in a couple of weeks, and when that happens, he will be 
you know, number two all time on the scoring list and about a thousand points behind Kareem, which means sometime next season, he's going to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And while that feels like a foregone conclusion and it's going to happen and it almost, of course, it is going to happen, you know, LeBron's 37, he'll be 38 before that happens. Things happen, uh, you know, injuries happen. Uh, so for him, there is there is an incentive to to get as close to that as he can and take advantage of this period where he feels as good as he seems to um, and is able to go out and score at the level he is. Um, you know, he doesn't want to be limping to that to that threshold when the time comes. I mean, he wants to blow through it. Um, so, so I think that there is a there is a motivation on his part. You know, he won't ad- admit this, of course, but a motivation on his part to um, to get there uh, as fast as possible and to take advantage of these games, even if. You know, the reality is the Lakers aren't going to be rewarded with, you know, a, a deep, a deep postseason run. I would also say, though, kind of to your point, like, I, I think he, he doesn't want to, uh, you know, get there limping. And there's the risk of him aggravating this knee injury and, and making it worse. And potentially, you know, if that becomes something more serious, uh, you know, him kind of in, in the short term pursuing it could affect the actual long term pursuit if this is a you know, if he suffers a, a serious knee injury because he is pushing this. Um, so I, I do wonder if, for me, I, I kind of look at the next couple weeks as if the Lakers can't turn this around. And again, I mean, looking at their schedule, it's really hard to, to be optimistic about that. Uh, I mean, San Antonio, Houston, is it like they have to win both of those games because one, they're competing with San Antonio for the 10 seed. And two, I mean, Houston is just, you know, one, one of the worst teams in the league. And like, you have to win both of those games at a minimum and then, you know, hope you can steal a game or two for, from some better teams. But like, you know, if, if they lose like one or, or both of those games, which I wouldn't rule out, uh, that is when it's kind of like, really, what's the point? Because yeah. just the, the, as you as you just wrote, like the, the, the math isn't in their favor necessarily, yeah. you know, moving forward. And I don't I mean, again, maybe LeBron is just chasing Kareem and that is worth it for him, even if they are the 11th seed. But I do think at some point, if it is looking like, hey, like we're not even going to be ninth, we're, we're going to be at best 10th. There is a question of like, what is even the point of this? Of We're going to have to win two playing games on the road. Then we're going to go play Phoenix, which like in theory isn't the worst matchup for the Lakers, especially we, we don't know Chris Paul's health, but you're probably going to get smacked in, in, in five or six games. And yeah. uh, I, I just, I don't know. And it's, and we don't know the status of AD. Like uh, that there's been some, reporting on that of, of like, you know, could he be out a little bit longer than anticipated? And as we saw the first time around, he was out five and a half weeks when it was initially a, a four and a half week timetable. So I think for the Lakers, it's, it's just kind of getting to the point where unless they can reel off a few wins in a row and, and kind of get that vibe back that they had a, a couple of weeks back, like I don't see what the point is. And maybe for LeBron, it's just, as he said, you got to bury me and he wants the Kareem record. But I think there is a chance he ends up hurting himself in the long run with potentially injuring himself. And, and there's been a few near injuries in recent weeks where we've almost been like, you know, what's the point of this? And at this point, I, I just, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think there is a, a wait and see approach with this. I think it still could go one of 
two ways. And, you know, I kind of tried to make this point in my framing of questions to Frank and, you know, a couple players the other night, which was, you know, right now it feels like it could go either way, you know, where you guys could find a little bit of juice here and at least, you know, hang on to the nine. Or it's like, man, you get passed by New Orleans, which is knocking on the door right now. And all of a sudden 10 feels a little perilous and the Lakers just let go of the rope. And I think that, you know, we're about a week or two away from really figuring out which way it's going to go. And we just don't know at this point. But I, I... I think, you know, what we know about this team is like, if there is, if it is a will the Lakers succeed or not question, more often than not this year, the answer has been or not, if that makes sense. You know, they have, they've fallen short in almost every way this year. So if we're like, it would, it seems like we would, the, the joke would be on us. If with 21 games left, we suddenly start thinking like, hey, you know what? This team's going to figure it out. They're going to piece it together. They're going to win, get through the play in and they're going to make at least put up a fight in the first round. Like, I think that's possible, but we have not seen the evidence to um, to really be able to, like, make an argument that that's what's going to happen. And I will say Frank Vogel yesterday sort of acknowledged that because he was asked, uh, you know, by a reporter in the in the room about kind of this team going forward. And he said, faith by definition is believing in something that you cannot see. And we have not seen it this year. So, I mean, he's aware. I mean, everybody knows what's going on with this Lakers team. And so, you know, having that faith, you know, or belief or hope or, you know, is one thing, but like really having any reason to like have confidence that there's anything productive waiting for the Lakers in these last 21 games is um, probably a little bit of a fool's errand. Um, Wanted to ask you, Yovan, about about the stuff that happened over All-Star break. Um, we're a couple weeks past it now. LeBron has um, said his piece about it. Um, and, you know, I've written extensively about uh, about what it might mean and LeBron's uh, response. Um, but let's go back to the first couple days of All-Star weekend when LeBron told our very good friend and colleague Jason Lloyd uh, in the story that broke uh, the internet, broke NBA Twitter um, with LeBron James saying that the door was not closed on him going back to Cleveland someday and um, and that he would finish his career playing with Bronny, his son, who is, I believe, a junior in high school now, um, would be an NBA prospect in 2024 as the rules are currently, um, uh, according to the rules that are currently in place, he would need a year post high school so he could go to the G League, he could play in college, he could play in Australia, as we've seen others do. So there'd be options. Um, when you heard that, Jovan, did you think that that was LeBron just sort of saying, hey, everything's open, everything's a possibility? Or were you, like many, like myself, um, did you view that in the context of him not being happy with the Lakers at the trade deadline, not being happy with the construction of the roster, not being happy with Rob Palinka? Um, where did you come down on sort of this, you know, blue dress, gold dress moment for LeBron's comments? <laughs> I like that. Um well, the Bronny stuff has been out there, but not as not as explicitly stated by LeBron. Yeah, I feel like I've I feel like that that's been a th- like I feel like this has happened kind of multiple times, and every time it gets brought up, it becomes a story. And I, I guess for me, because um, I even listened to uh, one of my favorite podcasts is the Tim Ferriss podcast, and he had LeBron and, and Mike Mancius on, and um, he you know kind of I forgot kind of the question, but but. Uh, it got brought up that he wanted to play with his son 
And I, I actually aggregated that. And, and this was a few years ago. And I remember like that got like a thousand retweets or something. And everyone's like, Oh, and I was like this, I feel like we kind of know that like, so maybe this is the most explicit he's been with it, but I feel like it's been out there that he wants to play with Bronny. Um, and so I, I wasn't like that to me, didn't really mean much or, or move much of a needle for me. Uh, the Cleveland comments did. And I, I think it's no secret that, uh, LeBron was not happy with the Lakers inactivity at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, I, I think we, we've all kind of talked about that, reported that. Uh, so, you know, that was definitely a thing. And I, I think LeBron, as he has even said, uh, but, but, you know, I, I think other people have said throughout his career, like he's very calculated. He pays attention to everything. He reads your work at the athletic. Uh, he probably maybe reads my work. Like, you know, he, he, uh, that was something I actually had on, um, you know, I, we, I had Trey Edwards on, on my other podcast, uh, stargazing. And like, he was like LeBron and Drake and Kevin Durant. And like, there are a few of these mega stars that they consume all of the media about themselves and they know who all the writers are. They know what's being said about them. They always have their finger on the pulse. And I, I think we've consistently seen that from LeBron. So LeBron knew, what he was doing. He knew what he was saying was going to make news, was going to put pressure on the Lakers. And, you know, I, I think it's just interesting that like kind of seeing the, the you know, the, the private reporting versus what he's kind of said publicly. It's like the, 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 there's a bit of a, a cognitive dissonance there where, um, you know, I, I think some of the stuff clearly is coming from LeBron's camp clutch, you know, wherever. And, and then publicly, you know, he's kind of denying that, but if there was no smoke there, then there would not have been a meeting with, uh, you know, Rich Paul and Lakers brass. So th- there clearly was something there and something that needed to be addressed. So uh, I-, I think I, I lean more with, with you know, y- you and, and, you know, most people on that. W- you know, there was a reason for that. And I-, I think I don't know if it was to necessarily go back to Cleveland. I, I think I'm, I'm maybe a little bit less sold on on that specifically, but I do think he was not happy with the, the Lakers inactivity at the deadline. And I think he was using the media to kind of put some pressure on them. And um, I don't know if it worked. I, you know, I, I don't know kind of what the ultimate outcome is going to be, but uh, th- it was definitely calculated in my opinion. What I wrote and you know, the story's available at the athletic, but what I wrote was this was LeBron's way of reminding the Lakers that his, the gift of his presence isn't guaranteed. You know, he has outs. He has, um, you know, he has one more year on his contract. He'll be 38. Uh, there's every reason to think he'll still be a you know a max level player uh, at the at the end of that contract. Um, he's eligible for an extension this year, where the Lakers could at least lock him up through 2024, which would put him in alignment with Bronny. Which, by the way, really really matters, like you said. And I went back and found his comments on the Tim Ferriss podcast, and he said he said that he would wanted to share the court with Bronny. He had not explicitly said that he was going to play with him. And so the, that's the idea of like, he will pack his bags and go where Bronny is. He is, he's dropped breadcrumbs before. Um, but if he said it as explicitly as he did to Jason, I have not seen it. But what he said when he signed his extension before the, before last season, and you probably remember this because I know you were on the call with him. He said, Hey, like if the rules change, this contract lines up with me to like, you know, be a free agent when my son enters the league, which could be really cool. So, I mean, Totally breadcrumb. Like, you you know yeah. what he's saying. He's saying, then I would have the flexibility to go where he is. And let's, I mean, listen, that creates all sorts of 
you know, other t um, tangents and potential problems, you know, in terms of, you know, teams, how high would a team be willing to use a draft pick on Bronny if it meant getting LeBron? Do teams that might want to draft Bronny on the merits also want to sign up for the LeBron experience, which would be a 39-year-old player who comes in with, you know, a real, really powerful voice and presence and presumably, you know, wanting to have a little bit of, you know, a share of, of the decision-making. Uh, is that something you want to sign up for? Does that hurt or help um, Bronny's NBA um, evaluation? Um, but there's, So there's a lot there. But the indication he gave when he signed this extension was that it lined up with Bronny being able to enter the league. Well, there's been no movement that we know of on the league getting rid of the one-and-done rule and letting players enter directly from high school. So we've seen players, you know, obviously college basketball is dying. And so we've seen players go different routes. You know, the G League Ignite is, um, you know, a, a great avenue for certain players. Playing overseas has been a great avenue for certain players. Um, but, you know, what's Bronny going to do? It ultimately doesn't matter because he's not going to be able to enter the NBA until 2024. So does LeBron sign the extension for one more year to um, – to line up with Bronny. Prob I think so. I think he probably does. Um, but he's not signing that extension before the Lakers fix this roster, before they solve Russell Westbrook, before they put a team around him. He'll sign that extension like a week before training camp or during training camp next year, um, whenever that deadline is. But, you know, we should get an expert on this podcast who knows this stuff. But you know he's, he's going to take his time on that, and he's certainly not going to commit to the Lakers for another year while Russell Westbrook is out there shooting four for 27 or whatever it is, five of 17 the other night. Um, and you know all these veterans they signed can't play, and you are in a position where you and I are having a conversation about how Wenyan Gabriel could be the key to their future success. Like that's not where that's not where LeBron is signing on the dotted line. You know, he needs to see an overhaul this summer, and that's what I think that he was doing. You know, like I don't think he wants to go anywhere. He doesn't want to go play in Orlando. He doesn't want to play in Detroit. He doesn't want to play in Cleveland. I don't care if he's from there. It is cold in Cleveland. He has seen the light, and the light is the sun setting over the Pacific Ocean from the top floor of his Brentwood mansion. He's not going back to Cleveland to play and and be the you know what to be this you know, elder statesman on a team that is already a contender in the East without him and is going to be a contender after him. So to me, that doesn't make sense. But I do think what he wanted to do was to grab Rob Palenka by the lapels and say, we are not doing this again. We are not being a play-in level bottom feeder for a second year. We are not missing the playoffs for the second time in my four years in LA. Um, it's not good enough. And 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 so that is where I think that he, it was a success. It led to a meeting between Rich Paul, Rob Palinka, and Jeannie Buss. And there is no world in which that meeting was just Rich Paul sitting down and saying, hey, LeBron was taken out of context. He didn't mean any of the stuff that people are saying that he meant. Like people who are reading the tea leaves are wrong. People who've covered LeBron James for 20 years and are reading, the, reading this as, a, um, as applying pressure to the Lakers don't get it. They're completely misinformed. No, that meeting was, all right, LeBron's comments have, have gotten a little out of control. We understand that this, this has become bigger maybe than he meant. He was trying to apply gentle pressure and instead it's become an inferno. Um, but here's what needs to happen. And I guarantee you that those conversations between Rich, Jeannie, and Rob were about where do we go from here? Those conversations were about what do you do about Russell Westbrook? What kind of player do you put around him? 
Uh, wouldn't surprise me if there was a conversation about Anthony Davis. Does is 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 Anthony Davis and LeBron? Is that the pairing that we need to build around going forward, or is there a scenario where you consider moving Anthony Davis? Um, I think I think, and I hope the answer to that question is no. But it should be on the table. Everything should be on the table for the Lakers at this point. And that meeting was the first you know opportunity to get the the real power brokers, the, probably the three most important voices within the Lakers organization or influencing decisions together to start laying out a roadmap. Um, and you don't do that unless LeBron was unhappy. And you don't do that unless LeBron wanted to get someone's attention. He succeeded. And, um, you know, I don't think he's going anywhere. But I also think that he wants to make sure that the Lakers know that he could go somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you you just explained that all very eloquently. I, I don't really have much to add. Um, the trade AD stuff, like, I, I feel like that's, I don't know, I, I'm. it's tough for... Because for me, I, I just think you're selling him at his lowest point. I agree. Where, you know, I, I think he's now kind of had two back-to-back disappointing seasons after that high of the 2020 bubble. And, and you know, I, I think, in my opinion, really was right there with LeBron for best and, and most impactful player on the Lakers during that run. You know, I would still give the edge to LeBron, but it was kind of a a Kobe Shaq dynamic where, you know, they were just kind of neck and neck and, and both just so dominant. And I think that, you know, that was the version of Anthony Davis that people had been, I mean, I think people kind of forget how hyped Anthony Davis was. Like people were saying he was the best prospect since LeBron. And, um, you know, he, he's kind of since his you know third season in the league has been compared to Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan and Dirk and like put on this really elite, up, you know, uh, level and, and, you know, he was a top 75 player. Right. And, um, Dwight Howard didn't make the top 75. Uh, and he's someone who led a team to the finals and multiple defensive player of the year awards. And like, you know, his, it's not like Anthony Davis has clearly had a better career than Dwight Howard aside from the championship. So, uh, like I, I think Dwight Howard, uh, I mean, Anthony Davis has been in this rarefied air for quite a while. And we, we saw the package that it took to get him and, we, we saw what he did in the 2020 bubble and, you know, unequivocally it, it, it's been a success, the, the Lakers trading for him. But I think flipping him now, like you'll still probably get a really good haul back, but it, it's not what it would have been. Like, let's say AD was healthy and the Lakers were kind of in the same position, you know, may, and he had a good season. Like at that point, I think you're, you're not selling from a point of weakness right now. I think you're yeah. selling from a point of weakness and I, I don't know. I don't know if at that point it's worth it because, you know, what are you getting for AD? And, you know, I don't know. Like, are you, and you got to remember, of course, that, uh, you know, who is AD rep by Rich Paul. Yeah. And and so that there's going to be some level of like, if AD is traded, it's going to have to be a place you're not sent, you know, shipping him out to like, you know, Boston where he didn't want to go originally. Um, I, I think there's going to be a you know a handful of teams he'd be interested in, and those handful of teams have to be able to give the Lakers something back that, that that's worth trading for AD. So it might ultimately be like one or two potential teams that even make sense. Yeah. Uh, so I I think that's a long shot. Um, I st- I still love the the AD LeBron foundation. Yeah. I just think that this team has has made some really bad miscalculations on the supporting cast and. Uh, you know, really needs to look at the first two seasons of what worked and, and go back to that. And, and, and to me, it starts with trading Russell Westbrook this off season and really getting 
either a, a third star that fits much better or a collection of role players similar to the ones that you you gave up. And if you can't get either, then I guess you just take whatever you can get for us. But I think that's where it, it has to start is writing that wrong. Because right now, I think the Russ thing has is, is gone beyond like, I don't think he's been as bad as people have, have made him out to be. Um, you know, I think he's still been relatively productive, but he's not been at a third star level. And I think his attitude his lack of, of, you know, being willing to adapt and just sort of the negative, I feel like he's brought some negative energy to the, the organization and, and just, um, you know, it, it's just been a very awkward situation. And I think, I don't even think it's the, um, negative energy. I don't think he, he has negative energy per se, but I think that the tension, the on court, like fit has been such a black cloud over this organization. And it's been, it's been that way since basically the trade was made. Um, and the fact that everyone has to answer questions about his fit, the fact that it hasn't gone well, that, that to me has create has been, I mean, that has been the defining issue of the season. I mean, injuries, yes, but the biggest takeaway from this season is that the Russell Westbrook tra- trade was a failure. And do I blame Russ for that? To, to some extent, I blame the front office, I blame LeBron, you know, all of the above. But I mean, that is the thing, that this did not work out. And that is... That, and that and the fact that it didn't work out is bigger than any one missed shot or any one poor game. It's it's a it's a whole institutional problem, and that has been the black cloud of the season, and that has caused the negative energy that you're describing. Yeah, and and I don't I really like I mean, do you think like because I I think there there's a couple ways this this season could kind of go, um, right? Like, I mean, they they either make the plan or they don't, right? Like that, that's kind of you know it's it's binary. But there's like what happens with LeBron. You know, mm-hmm. does LeBron, uh, because, because I also think him coming out or, you know, it being reported that LeBron has no interest in shutting it down. I also wonder if that's kind of protection for him eventually shutting it down and it being like, a, because a lot of times with this stuff, like the optics matters. So it's all if, if, it, if it never came out that LeBron didn't want to shut it down, then he shuts it down and everyone's like, oh, well, he's giving up on the team. He's giving up on the season. But if it comes out. Hey, LeBron doesn't want to shut it down. He wants to keep going. But then two weeks from now, it's like, hey, his knee is a little bit worse than we thought. And he doesn't want to risk it if this team's going to be a 10 seed. Then he kind of has that cover of, um, you know, well, I he didn't want to shut it down. Totally but this was serious enough. Totally agree with you. And I, um, I do think that LeBron going down with a, you know, a swollen knee with seven games to go or something like that, that just ensures the Lakers miss the play in is almost the best case scenario from an optics standpoint, because then you can end the season. You can go into the summer and say, you know, Rob Polinka, I can see him right now. You know, this was a, a, you know, a tough season on the injury front. We never got our whole group together. LeBron, Russ and AD only played 18 games together the entire season. You know, that was not enough time to build any momentum. So we, um, you know, LeBron, LeBron's injury was kind of the, the last, you know, the last straw. So of course, you know, like that's, that's why it wasn't a success because they didn't even have a chance to be healthy in the play in um, because it's worse to go in as the 10 seed with a healthy LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, you know, and these role players who you supposedly believe in and, and get smacked by the Pelicans and have your season end on bourbon street in on April 11th. Yeah. Like that's, that's just worse. It's better. It's better to say, wow, like this whole thing fell apart and it's all because of injuries. So, you know, I believe LeBron would rather play, but there might be, be a point where, you know, physically, you know, from a standing standpoint, it becomes untenable and he doesn't, you know, he's scored, you know, however many points. The problem is if he's going out there and scoring 35 points a night 
and or even let's just say 30 a night and he and there's 10 games left he's leaving 300 points on the table in the chase for kareem that's significant so i mean that is the thing that kind of keeps me kind of coming back on the will he shut it down front but at a certain point that just may not be a big enough of a consideration Jovan, it is time for us to go. We have, I think we have looked at this Lakers situation from basically every angle. Uh, they're playing the Clippers tonight, so um, hopefully we hit on some themes that if you're listening to this after the Clippers game, after you know the result of that game, that still feels um, like you learned something. Um, but we'll be back next week uh, checking in on the Lakers. They'll be on the road next week, a little San Antonio-Houston trip. And then we will, uh, you know, we'll see where they're at. Maybe we'll have a little clarity on some of these issues. But in the meantime, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for reading and supporting The Athletic. Jovan and I are pumping out stories on basically a daily basis at The Athletic, uh, trying to figure out what's going on with this team and where they go from here. Um, So please check that out if you haven't. And uh, we'll be back next week. So thank you for listening to The Forum Club, and we'll talk to you soon.